I just was blown away by the detail uh, of, of how the Holy Spirit gave us detail in the life of the kings of Israel. And listen, and how the principle, and you know this, of sowing and reaping was illustrated in their lives, and really illustrated in all of our lives, wherever we're at in the scriptures or in our own personal lives. You know that verse in Galatians, which is going to be kind of a, a foundation to this study, and 6, where it says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And, and I'm going to use that verse, really, to, uh, as points throughout this study. We'll be here for a couple hours, and uh, so I hope you ate breakfast. No. But really, if you've ever taken a study through the Kings or Chronicle, you begin to notice that there were good kings and that there were not so good kings. We could say bad kings, kings that followed after the Lord and, and others that did not. And here I was studying on my own. This is a personal study. We're in Ephesians in, back in our church. And, and I was there just studying through 2 Kings and how it was detailing the life of Hezekiah. And so there I am with my coffee and, and just studying and, and being reminded of the life of Hezekiah and how he was described as a king that did what was right in the eyes or in the sight of the Lord. Unlike his father, Ahaz, Ahaz did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. The scriptures tell us that Hezekiah tore down the idols that his father built and stopped all the ungodly worship that his father instituted for Judah to practice, to include, check this out, to include destroying the brazen serpent. How many of you remember that brazen serpent that Moses had made by God's direction in Numbers 21? And why did he do that? Because the people began to make an idol out of it and worship it. Isn't that so much like us? We take what was used by God for a specific pur purpose, uh, an, uh, an object, and all of a sudden, we're idolizing the object, the creation, rather than the creator. And the thing here is that Hezekiah went forward, and Hezekiah began to destroy the things that his father instituted over again. Hezekiah was a good king, not a perfect king. Understand that. He was a good king. He followed after the Lord. He loved and served God and led his home and nation and doing the same. And then at one time, when Hezekiah was sick, Isaiah the prophet, who was the prophet during the time of Hezekiah, and the prophet during the time of Messiah, of Manasseh, came to him and told him this, set your house in order for you shall die and not live. <laughs> well, Hezekiah went before the Lord. You guys know this story. He went before him. He was weeping. He was praying for God to extend his life. And God showed mercy to him. And God extended his life for how long? Fifteen years. That's right. All four of you. God bless you. <laughs> I know how it is, though. Was it 14 or 13? I'm not going to say anything. Yeah, 15 years. But remind, I remind you, it was during those last 15 years that Hezekiah had a son by the name of Manasseh who would succeed him as king of Judah. Chapter 21, and we will pray in a minute here. 
chapter 21 speaks of the king, speaks of Manasseh. And I just wanted to share my gleanings, my personal gleanings with you. What I, what I was blessed on my porch uh, reading it and, and digging into it for my personal study. Uh, I just wanted to show you what the, what the Lord has shown me uh, about his holiness and his judgment, but also his grace. You see, a lot of people think the Old Testament is nothing but judgment, dark, you know. Uh, no, I see a lot of grace. Just read the story of Abraham. Abraham, who was just as much a Gentile as Gentiles were. He was called by God to begin a nation, to begin a family of God, to, to, to be the light to the Gentiles. Abraham, who, who just believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Guys, that's, that's grace, that's mercy. Here was a man that was caught up in a, in a life of idolatry himself and, and worshiping other gods, gods of, of his own father, that God <laughs> called him. No, the Old Testament isn't dark. The Old Testament isn't just about judgment. You need to see grace. You need to see mercy. And as I was studying this, uh, it, it did get dark, and, and we'll see that because we'll walk through chapter 21. But it took me to, to a place where the light shone. It took me to a place of repentance as well. What a good God that we serve, a great God. How, 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 again, the principle of sowing and reaping, and that could be used for the, as we read it, for the, for the good, and it could be also a principle for the not so good. Charles Dickens began his book of The Tale of Two Cities with that famous line, it was the best of times and what? It was the worst of times. Y'all read it. Nobody reads that book. I mean, we only know the first, the first line, right? Well, as the extended life of Hezekiah comes to an end, so does the best of times. I mean, it was good times during King Hezekiah. It was precious times. Restoring their worship. Pointing the people back vertically to God so that their, their horizontal walk would be that much sweeter. And now as we look to chapter 21, it begins the worst of times for Judah with the rule of Manasseh as king. Let's pray. So, Father, we've opened the Bible this morning, and we ask that you would open us up. We ask, Lord, as we just glean through, Lord, that you would speak to us, going beyond my notes, God, beyond my, my own gleanings, God, that you would speak to us individually, Lord. And then, Lord, congregationally as a church, the local church here at Richmond, but the church bigger than us, Lord, bigger than this. Those of us, Lord God, who have claimed you as Lord and Savior, speak to us this morning. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Doing a little, little bit different. We're just going to be reading, and I'm going to be commenting. And uh, um, a little bit different than a normal sermon. It begins in chapter 1, and really the head, head, heading to this could be, Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Again, Galatians, looking at that as our base, do not be deceived. It says there, Manasseh, whose name means forgetting, if you're taking notes. And as we'll see, what an appropriate name for such a person. It says here, was 12 years old when he became king. Now, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't lend my debit card to any of my kids at 12, yet alone turn over a kingdom to them. 
12 years old, are you kidding me? Your voice is changing. Your voice is changing. Your, your hormones are out of whack. You don't know what's going on in this world. But yet, the kingdom was turned over to him. Uh, no doubt he had his advisors. Some uh, commentators or, or uh, experts tell us that perhaps Hezekiah still was able to have a few years with his son uh, as he... Uh, toward the end of, of, of his 15-year life there, at least three years maybe, but he had advisors. But eventually, he would begin to make decisions on his own. It says there he reigned for 55 years in Jerusalem. The boy king, this, this boy king, well, he would be the longest reigning and the most wicked king Judah ever had. Now, as you get through this, go back and think about that later on. Why would God allow this Boy king, who would grow up to be a, a man, an evil man, why would he give him the longest reign? And I hope you see this, and I'll mention it toward the end, or somewhere in here, I think, that God is long-suffering. God is long-suffering. Wasn't he long-suffering with us? Amen? Wasn't he long-suffering with us? Think about it. Here he is the longest reigning king. And yet the most wicked one Judah had ever had. It says there again, his mother, notice uh, his mother's name was Hevziba. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but I don't think anybody here would know either way. <laughs> Chapter 2, it says, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Again, he was a bad king. Listen, according to the abominations of the nations. According to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. And so here it speaks of his mom. And it's always hard on the parents, isn't it? It's always hard on the mom. Mom was left. Hezekiah dies. She's left. Her name, beautiful, my delight is in her. My delight is in her. But it's always the mother, it's always the parents that suffer for their children's bad decisions. And I can just imagine, see, you know, here she is looking at her son who, who was raised right. Raised to know the Lord. Hezekiah got, got his house in order. Hezekiah had a godly order for the nation and his home. And here he is now walking away from that. Here he is acting differently, making bad decisions. But please know this, parents, that, that, that it's in spite of you how you raise them in a godly household. It's in spite of, of how you have built into them the, the godly attributes. It's in spite of that, not because of you, that they have chosen the life they are living. And we must constantly be on our knees for our kids, for our grandkids, our our. For those who are close to us, we, we can't give up, even though we see, and I think this, this teaching will show you that, that I believe that his mom was, was on her knees for this man, for this boy, for this kid, this king. I, I really believe that personally, because I've lived that, and I've seen the fruit of it as well. Manasseh decided to walk not after his father Hezekiah, not after the word of God, but after the nations. That's speaking of the Gentile nations, those who occupied 
Israel before, and really still are. Remember, they didn't kick out everybody they should have. He went after the nations. He went after the world. What's the world doing, man? I want to just test some things. I just want to get some things back into our community and, and look at what they're doing. He, he went after the nations. He, 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 he chose to pattern his kingship after the nations, not after the word of God. Numbers 33 tells us this. God is speaking he says, speak to the children of Israel. Say to them, when you have crossed the Jordan into the land of Canaan, Israel, then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land before you, destroy all their engraved stones, destroy all their molded images, and demolish all their high places. You shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land and dwell in it, for I have given you the land to possess. If God wanted us to follow after those nations, he wouldn't have cast them out. Or wanted them to cast them out. God knew that he, if they didn't cast them out, that they would begin to become like them. And we know the history of, of Israel. You know, there's a wise old saying that says this. Why is old saying? And let me find it so I can be wise and say it. It says this. I have this new program and you touch it and it just goes blank on you. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to what? To repeat it. It's right up there. You can read it. You don't have to get there. Those, and, and, and this is, he's going to the past. He's, he's going backwards. He's, he's what? He's backsliding. He's, he's going back to, and, and, and he's going to be in danger, and he's going to endanger the people that he is supposed to be leading. That's so Important, guys. He went the exact opposite of his father, both in life and in leadership for this nation in obedience to God. Again, his name means forgetting. The root of that name literally means to set aside. And that's exactly what Manassas did. He set aside what he knew to be right, the written word of God. Every king was to have that written word at their side. Remember? Every king was to go to the uh, t tabernacle, to go to, to the temple when it was built, and have the priest uh, write out the word of God for them. But he neglected that. He set that aside. He set aside the repeated history. He set aside the history of these nations and what God did and, and wanted done to repeat history, a history that ended in destruction for the, the Canaanites, for all the other ites there, the mosquito bites and everything. <laughs> Have you ever run into a Canaanite lately? No. So why would we want to pattern our life after the world, after the nations? Why would we want to pattern our life? Uh, maybe you were raised in a, in a not so good home, okay? And you knew it wasn't good. Why would you pattern your life after that? God gives us a new life, a new lease on life. So this is what he did. Looking at verse 3. For he rebuilt the high places. Now you read a lot of that in the Old Testament. High places, the high. Those were altars to pagan gods. They were out in the higher uh, places and in, in the higher elevations. Uh, it's interesting uh, because they would go up there thinking they were to be closer to their idol, closer to their God. 
And a lot of things that they did, they were ashamed to do in the public place. We'll get to that in a minute. So, they, so he rebuilt the high places, which Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. He raised up altars for Baal and made a wooden image as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. That was, Ahab, again, was his father's father, Hezekiah's father, his grandfather, Manasseh's grandfather. Guys, Baal worship was celebrated by the most grossest, reckless activities of idolatry, idolatry, adultery, and illicit sexual activity. And it says, and he worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. Guys, this is astrology. This is the zodiac. This is the horror scope. I call it the horror scope. Now, a lot of people say, oh, come on, pastor. You know, we're just having fun. It's in the newspaper. We just kind of read it. You know, I'm a cancer. I'm a Sagittarian. Uh, No, you're a Christian. We don't do those things no more. And I'll tell you why. Because you'll start to rule your life. I guarantee it. You need to stop looking at them. It's not play. We're not playing around. Those are things that will start to rule your life. Don't mess with them. They're horoscopes. <laughs> he started to worship that, the host of heaven, instead of, again, worshiping the creator. He's worshiping the creation. He also built altars, listen, in the house of the Lord. In the house of the Lord. There, in the temple, he started building altars to these gods of which the Lord had said in Jerusalem, I will put my name. Jerusalem was to be holy. Jerusalem was supposed to be a a holy place, a place where God would meet the high priest once a year in the holy of holies. This is where I'm going to put my name where people will go up to Jerusalem, look toward Jerusalem, bless Jerusalem, for it is my name is there. And this is pretty bold, isn't it? To mock God that way. God will not be mocked. God is not mocked. But many people mock him that way. And not only will this give an opportunity for the enemy to blaspheme, but for the Hebrew people to begin to blaspheme God as they're being led in the flesh by their own king. Verse 5 says, And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. So the writer here is focusing on the temple, focusing on the temple proper itself. And he speaks there the temple of Solomon which had two courts, an inner and an outer. The outer court was for the people to worship, and the inner court were for the priests and the Levites to offer sacrifices for the people unto the Lord. He invaded their worship place. He invaded their time where they go to worship, the time where they go to bring offerings to God. It was in those courts that he placed a grotesque idols. Grotesque, guys. I'm not even going to speak of it over this pulpit. Idols, these, these, these images that would, I'm not even going to speak of it. Not yet, <laughs> maybe. But these, just, just think of, of it, pornography. Just think of the, the filthy idols back in the days. I'll let you do the, the homework on that. 
And he put that in the house, in the house of the Lord. Verse 6 says, and he also made, and isn't this sad? He also made his son pass through the fire. What does that mean? Well, Manasseh sacrificed his own son to the Canaanite God who was worshipped by burning babies alive in the red hot arms of a statue of Molech. I need to stop here and kind of explain some things. You see, the way Baal expected you to, to worship him was, as I said, to go through Asherah, to go through these pornographic, grotesque, Idols that would stimulate the man. And then in the stimulation, it, it, of course, it would bring about a uh, fornication. It would bring about, and if you were married, adultery. It would bring about engagement in sexual illicit activities. Well, what happens when that takes place? At least for the women. They get what? They get pregnant. And through pregnancy, no doubt, going through the whole course of pregnancy when the baby is born, do they want to be reminded of their sin? Do they want to be reminded of how, how they were just carried away through this uh, worship of Baal? No, they don't want to be reminded of that. Not a problem. Satan had another idol, and that idol was the name of Molech. And Molech, if you look him up, was, was a god like this that had his arms out, and they would heat up these arms. They would heat them up to red, red, red glowing. They were brass gods. And as those, those arms were heated up in red, red glowing, well, then they would place a, the child upon it. And as the child would cry out, no doubt, and those cries, they were humans as well. They would hear those cries. It would break us. It would hurt us, but they would beat these drums. They would beat these drums to ground to uh, uh, what do you say? Drown out the cries of the babies. That's how bad it's gotten. That's where this king had led them, guys. Today, today they call it abortion. Today, oh, we are so advanced, aren't we? We are so sophisticated. We are, we have advanced in medical technology that today we can do it right in the womb. But even today, how bad we've gotten, guys? Well, you can wait. You can even have the baby. Our own governor said this. The infant would be delivered. The infant would be kept comfortable. The infant would be resuscitated if that's what the mother and the family desired. Our own state governor has said those words. Thank God that was tabled for now, this Third trimester abortion, this is what they're calling it. Oh, we've come a long way, baby, haven't we? No, there's nothing new under the sun. We've gotten a little bit more <laughs> sophisticated. But we could even call it Baal worship. We could even call it worship of Molech, offering live babies. Babies dying for their parents' sin. Or others sin. Guys, uh, I didn't want to get graphic like that, but I want you to see just how wicked this king, what he has done. And there in the temple, they're in a place of worship. 
He's allowed this to happen. He's brought these gods back. He's, he's had manufacturers manufacture these gods, these, these men who work with bronze. And, and there's just pain. Went on to say he practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft. If you look that word up, it's the word where we get for drug use, mind-altering drugs, pharmakia. Is the word where we get our word pharmacy. He, he's, he's involved drugs now because you got to be numb. You, you, you can't be in your right mind. You, you got to be high to do these kinds of things. Your, your, your conscience would not allow you to, to go on. And so he brings in witchcraft and soothsaying. And notice, and he consulted spiritists and mediums. Today we see grave soaking. We see. Uh, these these people going to graves and seeking the the voice and seeking the the spirit of the dead there that <laughs> they're dead and yet we see even churches involved with that the lord forbade all of this evil worship deuteronomy 18 tells us there shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire or one who practices witchcraft or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens or sorcerer. All he needed to do was read the scriptures, but he did not because he knew he was in violation of God's own word. Look at, or one who conjures spells, or mediums, or spiritists, or one who calls up the what? The dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. The longest reigning king in Israel was, 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 it seems like was out of control. It was like being allowed to do these things. It's not true. The word of God says, do not do these things. He went on to say there, he did much evil, verse 6, in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. He even set a carved image of Astra that he had made in the house in which the Lord said to David and Solomon, his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. The goal of this man to put a Canaanite goddess of fertility, to put a pornographic idol that was worshipped through ritual prostitution, as we talked about, in, in, the house of God in this place. He is out of control. This, this, this guy, he's a madman. He is totally out of control. And yet this he did. <coughs> Verse 8, God continues to say, And I will not make the feet of Israel wander any more from the land which I gave their fathers. <coughs> Only if. It's conditional. They are careful to do according to all that I have commanded them and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. This was the Lord's house. This was his chosen city for his people to worship and to keep and honor his name. And Manasseh has turned it into a brothel and rather than a blessing for people to worship, he is out of control. 
Verse 9. God gave this word. God brought forth this word. Notice there that he had brought this word in the house of the Lord that if they are careful to do according to all that I have commanded them, then they will always be there in the land. But verse 9 tells us, but they paid no attention. How many times? How many times have we been under a sermon, a teaching, a Bible study? How many times have we been in church and we paid no attention? We paid no attention. And here, this is what they did. It says in Manasseh, and now there's notice it says, the scripture says, and Manasseh seduced them, seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. He wasn't just satisfied to just be like those nations. He wanted to go above and beyond them. He was in control. That's what he wanted. It's all control. He wanted to control everyone. And he knew how to get them. He knew how to snatch them. And it was through the flesh. Clark tells us he did all that he could to pervert the national character and totally destroy the worship of the true God. And Clark says, and he succeeded. Manasseh determined to model himself and be even more deviant, more repulsive and reckless than his grandfather Ahaz, rather than following the steps of his father, Hezekiah. Because of Manasseh's chosen path, Judah became a prostitute of evil practices, and the king was her pimp. No society could follow her down that hellish path. Well, God had something to say about this. Because whatever a man sows, he will also reap. Verse 10. And the Lord spoke by his servants, the prophets. Now again, I say, that one of the contemporary prophets at this time, it was, there was two or three, four, was Isaiah. He may have used Isaiah, he may have used all of them. But he sent them. Because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations, he's acted more wickedly than all the Amorites who were before him and has also made Judah sin with his idols. And therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such calamity upon Jerusalem and Judah that whoever hears of it, both his ears will tingle. And I will stretch out over Jerusalem, the measuring line of Samaria, and the plummet of the house of Ahab. The NLT says this, I will judge Jerusalem by the same standard I used for Samaria and the same measure I used for the family of Ahab. He says, let me tell you what I did. And you can go back and read what God did with that. But he says, I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish. Wiping it and turning it upside down. So I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies. And that will be, as we will see, the Assyrians. And they shall become the victims of plunder to all their enemies. Because they have done evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers come out of Egypt, even to this day. Warning and judgment. 
He sent the prophets to warn them, to warn them of the judgment that is to come, giving them room to repent of what they are doing, warning and judgment. God is long-suffering, guys. He's long-suffering with his children, not wanting any to perish, caring enough to warn them of the path that they're going down into. But if they don't repent of their sin, if they don't hear wisdom from, from these prophets, don't hear wisdom from other believers to repent and be restored, then God will use the world and its agency to judge them. And that's true today. And hopefully get their heart's attention. Well, look at verse 16. Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood. And that's Bible for you. They didn't listen. They didn't heed. Till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another besides his sin by which he made Judah sin in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Pastor, what do you bring us, man? We've come here excited on Sunday. <laughs> And you're bringing doom and gloom. We haven't gotten to the rest of the story yet. But I really want to set the scene. I want you to see, yes, God is long-suffering. Yes, God is graceful, but he's also holy. He is also holy. He's to be honored. He is to be worshipped. He is to be taken seriously. He's not a a rabbit's foot. How many of you remember a rabbit's foot? You're old. All three of you. The same three. The rest are crickets. He is holy. He is just. He brings amazing grace. His love is everlasting. But at this point, they... There's no change. There's no repentance. Manasseh just carried on in his hard heart against the Lord, provoking him to anger, making Judah sin. It's one thing when we are caught up in our own sins. It's another thing when we start recruiting people to be involved with our sin. How about a whole nation? Spurgeon said this. Count it to be one of the most fearful curses that can happen to you to be happy in your sins. One of the most fearful curses. And here is Manasseh. Happy, happy, happy. Happy and so happy. Oh, well, God's going to bring his, his prophets to warn us. We'll even get deeper. We'll even get more deviant. We'll even do more than what these Canaanites and all the other ites nations did and involved themselves in. God gave his word of warning here in 2 Kings. God gave it to them, and yet they seem to have just basically just didn't listen to God, went on to do what they wanted to do. The question is to be asked at this point, if, if this wicked king, if he prayed, if this wicked king who is responsible for, no doubt, thousands of deaths of babies, responsible for 
families becoming perverted, divorces, breakups, calamity, destruction, poverty, perverseness, the whole thing. If this one, who not only that, but involved himself in these things, prayed, if he asked for forgiveness from God, the question is, would God forgive him? And then I've got to ask myself, in my life, would I forgive them? Would I forgive them? There may be some people in your life that have really hurt you, maybe even damaged you mentally, maybe even got in, involved in things that, with you that you know that were wrong. The question is, would we forgive them? Would God forgive them? Would God forgive this evil king? Does he deserve forgiveness? Does he deserve salvation? Does this king deserve heaven? Well, in verse 17, if you look, it says, Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh, all that he did and the sin that he committed, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? You see, the story isn't over, so let's turn over to Chronicles. I've asked you to mark it there in chapter 33, by the way. It's where we get the rest of the story. Under the heading, therefore, he who sows to this flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. Don't forget that. We'll pick it up in verse 10 because verses 1 through 9 kind of review what we just talked about. But in verse 10 it says, And the Lord spoke to Manasseh. Are you there yet? Say amen. amen. Okay. I just wanted to say that all the time. I never. I see pastors say that. I thought that's cool. Just trying to be cool, man. There in verse 10, and the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would, what, not listen. It's, again, I, may, may I just say it's, it's dangerous um, to ignore the voice of God. It's, it's very dangerous to ignore the, the for believer's conviction of the Holy Spirit. We need to reply to conviction. We need to answer conviction. As I said, I'm driving down here in the rain, and it's, oh, Lord, forgive me, you know. Conviction is good for the Christian, amen? But we need to answer it, not ignore it. We get in trouble when we start ignoring conviction. But it's dangerous even to ignore the voice of God for salvation. Are you saved this morning? Have you accepted Christ as your Savior? How many times, how many Bible studies, how many sermons, how many Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, small groups, are you going to keep kicking against the goads when God says, come to me? I love you. I want to save you. Accept salvation. We're going to stop playing games with God. It's dangerous to ignore the voice of God. And yet this is what they did here. Now Manasseh has no ears to hear what the Spirit is speaking. It's not that he could not listen. Guys, did you read that verse? He what? Would not listen. And that from many prophets that God used. Tradition tells us, and we know we don't preach tradition, but I'll just throw it out there for your own 
that, that, that Manasseh was so evil and wicked and so tired of hearing Isaiah that he sawed him in half. <sighs> Hebrews tells us that some were sawn, in, sawn asunder, I guess is King James. We don't know if that's true or not, but a lot of scholars says that Manasseh had Isaiah the prophet. He was just, I'm going I'm to shut this guy up. Well, you can kill the man, but not the message. The message is out there. And by the way, somebody's writing it down, right? Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Kill the man. The message stays on. This man is wicked. This man is evil. Therefore, verse 11, the Lord brought up upon them the captains of the army of the king of Assyria. Now, I had a picture of, 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 of this, but I didn't, I didn't give it to the guys. But the Assyrians were, you want to talk about Wicked. They were even more wicked than Manasseh at this point. And when they came to invade, they did some terrible things to people. As a matter of fact, when they would come to take the people away as prisoners, they would put hooks through their noses. They would put hooks through their... Through, and many of you have studied this. I'm sure your pastors taught you that they would put hooks in their mouth or hooks in areas where you would not even move because it's just painful and they would drag you like animals away. And this is what's happening here. The Lord brought up Assyria, who took Manasseh, oh yeah, right there, with hooks. That's what it means, with hooks. Bound him with bronze fetters and carried him off to Babylon. If you're not going to listen to the voice of God, God is going to utilize those things that you're embracing to get your attention. He wanted to be like the nations. He wanted to bring in all back all the things of the nations. And so God says, well, then of the nations, I will use them. I'm reminded back in, how many of you got saved in the 80s? You know, I get saved, man, it's awesome, it's great. And all of a sudden, these health and wealth preachers start to come up. All of a sudden, they have television shows and they, they have big pompadours and nice white teeth and, you know, and... <laughs> And that's all fine. I'm just joking with that. But, but then all of a sudden, you know, you, if you ain't rich, you know, you're not in the kingdom and, 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 and all this. And then they start falling, right? And, and my point is this. They love the television. They love the camera. And so God says, I'm going to use the camera to bust you. I'm going to use the camera since you won't listen to my voice. You won't listen. I'm going to use television to expose you. And many of them were exposed by television. That one entity, that one thing that they love so much. Are we on, are we on life, by the way? <laughs> uh, but uh, I don't look 60, do I? God used television to expose them. You guys seen the 2020s. Remember those programs where they exposed you know, all these letters? They would just rip them open and take the money out and never read the prayer requests and things like that. Guys, this is what's going on here. Okay. All right, you won't listen to me. So these nations that you look so, so up to, that you want to be so, so about, you want to be in fellowship with them, well, guess what? You got what you wanted. But it wasn't really what he wanted, was it? And hooks and fetters and carried them off to Babylon. God allowed Manassas to reap the harvest of his sin, the consequences of his corruption are being carried away by those who worshiped like him. 
Where's your fellowship? And that's what Satan does. He carries us so far along in, in what we think we want and what we need, and then, and then he lets you down. And there you are, cold, and broken, and naked, and shameful. And where's your, where's your group at? Where's those people? You... And that's what Satan does. Leave you cold. Leave you hurting. He's a liar. He's a liar, guys. And this is what happened. He was carried away by those who worshiped just like him. But our verse there in Galatians says, but he who sows to the Spirit will what? Of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Now here's where Here's where the, the, good, the, good, the good part of it comes in. Look at verse 12. Now when he, speaking of Manasseh, was in affliction. Look up that word. That's not a very good word either. He's in pain. He's just, this is not what he wanted. This is not what he thought it would be. He implored. That word means to entreat. He uh, prayed. He begged. He was Basically, the word means... You're crying out in a state of what? A brokenness. This is a good thing. He was broken. He was naked. He was ashamed. He was ripped off. He was there. He was, began to implore. He began to entreat the Lord. And what does it say? The Lord what? What? What does your Bible say? The Lord, his God. What kind of Bible you got here, man? The Lord, what? His God. The Lord, his God. What are you talking about, man? God, see how the seed of faith now, the seed of his mother's teaching, the seed of his father's teaching, the seed of faith, not, not the seed of faith as, as we've seen it perverted, that seed that we've planted in our kids, the seed that they've, they've heard at study, the seed that is planted in them now, he's realizing as it becomes to germinate, as he's realizing, as he's sitting in a cell, as he's sitting and realizing all the things that he has done, it's that seed of faith sown as a child is now speaking out. I tell you guys, you keep preaching Jesus, showing grace, mercy, love, grace and truth though. It's, it's, it's there. The seed has been planted. Uh, you teach in the elementary age, junior high, high school. Hey, they may look like they're on their phone, but it's coming through their ears. It's coming through their mind. We've got to just pray. We've got to pray continually and plant seeds of faith in our children's hearts. Not only plant them, but show them. And show them that we're not perfect either. When we make mistakes, man, tell them, you know what, guys? I blew it. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I, I blew it. That's not what we... They see the practical life lived out, practical Christian life lived out. Because uh, I don't know if I told you this, most kids have a baloney meter. <laughs> I stole this from Pastor Joe in Philadelphia. They have a baloney meter, and they know what, when, when baloney is happening, man. Don't think they don't know it. They can make sausage out of it, man. <laughs> but the 
Lord his God. And what? And humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. Guys, look at this. And pray to him. Look again. He implored him. He cried out, man, in his affliction. But why do we wait till we're afflicted? But anyway, he implored him, calling him the Lord his God. He humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers, the God that he truly could trust. The God that he saw in his dad, the God he saw working through his family and the, and the people. And he cries out to that God, the true God, the living God. And he prayed to him. And this is beautiful. And he, God, received his ent- en- uh, entreaty, heard his supplication, and brought him back. That's restoring him to Jerusalem, into his kingdom. That's the God we serve, man. That's the long-suffering God that we serve. The God of love. The God who was just waiting and waiting for that prayer of repentance. It's our sins that that keep us uh, in fellowship with God. It's the sin that keeps us uh, in fellowship with God before we get saved. And then as we confess our sin and accept Christ as our Savior, He has forgiven our sin. But as we walk through this world, our feet get dirty. Hence the upper room discourse with Peter and and Jesus. Read that later on. Peter, just your feet because of this world. And our feet are going to get dirty. and, and And we need to keep short accounts with God through a prayer life and a repented life once we are saved. See, God hears that. And and, and I love it. Manassas didn't ask to be reseated, did he? Manassas didn't ask to go go back as a king. Manassas is just crying out to God, just crying out to the one who would hear him, crying out to the true God. And God does above, beyond anything that we could measure in our life. He didn't ask to be restored. He didn't ask, but this is what God did. Now you ask, well, why would God do that? Why, Why wasn't God just satisfied with with Manassas, the man, repenting and just bringing back, bringing back Jerusalem. And that's what happened. Jerusalem would be brought back and, and be, be restored as well. Because God loves to use us. God loves to use us once we've repented as a witness to others of his mercy and his grace. And how he can take a wretched sinner, a wretched sinner, and save them and restore them to who they really are. Their, their intended purpose, the plan that God has for them. The, you know, the, the plan, man. The future, the hope. What we are to be and, and who we are to, you know, created to worship God, to, to praise God. To complete us, basically what I'm saying, he loves, he loves to use that. I'm reminded of the, the man in the tombs. Remember him? And how Jesus says, let's get into the boat, let's go to the other side. The whole, whole Bible study there, a storm comes in. He rebukes the storm. It's the same word that he used to calm the storm that he uses against uh, the, the, the devil and, and, and the... Uh, 
the demons because that's what's trying to keep them from going to uh, the man, the gatherings, I believe it is, that area. Because there was a man in the tomb who needed Christ Jesus. There was a man in that tomb who needed salvation, who needed help. And Christ was going to go there, expel how many demons? Legion, right? What is a legion? A thousand or something like that? He was in his right mind. He, Jesus uh, was able to do that. Of course, he was God. And he was in his right mind. And that guy wanted to get in the boat with the rest of the guys. Remember that? And Jesus said, no, no, no. And I'm paraphrasing. You need to go back and treat it. He said, you go back home. <laughs> and you show them the mercy of God, the grace of God. You show them that you're in your right mind because you have encountered Jesus Christ. And he, then he did. He went back to his hometown. And people couldn't believe it. God loves to use us. And this is what he's doing as he brings Jerusalem back out of captivity. He brings Manasseh back and restores him. So the people will see. The other nations will see. The true God that we serve. And then notice this. It says, then Manasseh knew the Lord was God. Amen. He knew the Lord was God. Hey, listen, D.L. Moody said, the voice of sin is loud, but the voice of forgiveness is louder. The voice of forgiveness is louder. We come in and we shout, right? We, we love to worship God. Why? Oh, that what all he's done for us. Man, I'm telling you guys, the voice of forgiveness is louder. It is louder. But let us not forget a sincere prayer of repentance. And I believe this was. And we'll close it up here. From the heart. Must then what? Exhibit what? Starts with an F. And fruit, right? Exhibit fruit. So we're still questioning this guy. You know how he is. What? Um, who's that guy that just got saved? He's a rapper. Huh? Kanye got Kanye got saved. Oh, wait till I wait a minute, man. I need. That's how we is, right? We're, we're always. Why can't we just accept somebody getting saved? But true, there should be fruit of repentance. And notice this, guys. Stay with me. Verse fourteen. I'm just going to walk through this real quick through seventeen. Fruit of repentance? Well, he protected Judah from the Assyrian army. Look at 14. After this, he built a wall outside of the city of David on the west side of Gion, in the valley as far as the entrance of the fish gate, and it enclosed Ophel. And he raised it to a very great height. Then he put military captains in all fortified cities of Judah. Now, that's what a king does, man. king cares for his people, wants to protect his people. And this is what he did. Verse 15. He protected Judah from their spiritual enemies. He took away the foreign gods, amen, and the idol from the house of the Lord. Some of us need to do some cleaning up this Sunday. Some of us need to do some cleaning up in our own temple. Perhaps even in our place of residence. And this is what he did. He took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem, and he cast them out of the city, cast them out. Protected Judah from their spiritual enemy. He protected Judah from their Assyrian enemy. And then, verse 16, he restored, praise God, true worship in Judah. 
Look at 16. He also repaired the altar of the Lord. Why would he need to repair it? Because he tore it down. Sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings on it. And commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. To serve the Lord God of Israel. God sees us as we are. He loves us as we are. And accepts us as we are. But by his grace, he doesn't leave us as we are. He wants us to grow. He wants us to mature. He wants us to go more knowledgeable of him, more in love with him, knowing his grace, knowing his mercy. He doesn't leave us that way. He desires us to grow in the knowledge of his word that teaches us who he is and who we are in him and that we grow closer to him in a personal relationship, that we yield our will to him and allow the Holy Spirit to guide and direct our lives. Is there a Manassas? Is there a Manasseh in this room today? Have you come in here thinking, I am too far gone? Have you come in here thinking, you don't know, Pastor, where I've been and what I've done? Well, you know what? I don't think it has gone any further than, or worser. I don't even know if that's a word, worser, than this guy. And that's my point. God's grace is here. His mercy is here. If you're truly, truly wanting to repent, wanting to receive Christ as your Savior. Maybe you're backslidden. And you can come in here, man. We wouldn't know the difference. What's up, brother? What's happening, man? The Holy Spirit's conviction is here. Why leave here the way you came? Come back to the Father. He loves you. Repent, man. First John 1 John 1.9. Christians bar soap. Confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin. To cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Or maybe you're that one that needs to come. You just need to repent. Come to salvation. Become born again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for this word. We thank you that you've given us time, Lord, just to glean, Lord God, and just... Uh, just to think about, Lord, just your, the great love that you have for us and, and the peace that you want for us. Jesus, we thank you for your obedience, now leaving the royalties of heaven and coming in to this world as we begin to, to work toward that day of Christmas, God, the greatest gift that was given. You, Lord, dying on that cross for us, showing to us, exhibiting to us the, what love is, Unconditional, unconditional love.